Let me, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. How many of you were alive in 1972? How many of you were alive in 1972? I'll raise it high. Ah, pretty cool. How many of you were not alive in 1972? The vast majority of you. I was five in 1972, and uh, 1972 was an Olympic year, and a lot of interesting, even bad things happened that year. But one of the things that took place in the Olympics in 1972 happened between the Americans and the Russians. Anybody know what that was? The Americans did something they had never done before. For 36 years, over 65 games, when it comes to the game of basketball, the Americans had never been beat. They won every game in the Olympics. They had won, I can't remember, seven or eight gold medals. But in 1972, in the gold medal game, they were playing the Russians. And some people believe that, well, they got cheated, that it wasn't fair. Whatever your opinion, the Americans were defeated. The Russians won the gold, and the Americans were supposed to take home the silver. Now, I, I want to take about two minutes so that you can watch what happened and maybe come up with your own opinion of whether or not it was fair. Let's, let's watch this. The greatest controversy, perhaps, in the history of all organized basketball. Never been a more controversial game than the gold medal contest in Munich in 1972. It's among the most controversial moments in Olympic history. The 51-50 Soviet victory on a last-second basket sent waves of disbelief and outrage across the United States. The loss stunned the United States team, which had never been beaten in 36 years of Olympic basketball. A streak of 63 games and seven gold medals. Because the Soviets were given three chances to inbound the ball in the final three seconds, the Americans have always felt they were robbed. The Soviets had led throughout the game, with time running down and the USA trailing by one. Doug Collins stole a pass and was fouled hard on his way to the basket. With all the pressure in the world on him at age 21, Collins calmly tied the game at 49. And then, just as confidently, he put the United States up by one. The clock showed three seconds left. Soviet center Arjan Zharmukhamedov quickly inbounded the ball while his coaches frantically signaled for timeout. According to international rules, the Soviets were not allowed to call timeout during Collins' free throws. They were granted timeout with one second remaining. As the players returned to the court, the timekeeper was resetting the clock to three seconds. Inexplicably, the ref handed the ball to Ivan Yadeshko for the second throw-in before the clock was completely reset. Yadeshko inbounded for what the Americans thought was the final play of the game. But the clock had not been properly reset to three seconds. So General Secretary Jones and the officials cleared the court for a third throw-in. We have an expression to go crazy from happiness. When Alexander Belov made the last basket, he was running without understanding anything. The Americans immediately filed a protest, which wasn't resolved till the following day, when a five-man jury voted 3-2 to deny the appeal. All three negative votes coming from Eastern Bloc nations. Silver medal, 
USA. The American team unanimously refused to participate in the award ceremony or to accept their silver medals. They didn't show up. For 15 years after the, uh, the game took place, the Olympic Committee every year would try to get these young men to take their silver medal. They wouldn't do it. 40 years after the game, they had a reunion. It was filmed by ESPN called uh, The Silver Reunion and 30 by 30, and they still would not receive their medals. They simply didn't show, didn't show up. And, you know, I, I thought probably a lot of us can relate. Have you ever had a time in life where you just didn't think it was fair? You ever had something happen where what happened just doesn't, doesn't seem fair? And when life doesn't seem fair, what do we tend to do? Well, we tend to do the same thing. We give up. We don't show up. We don't show up in our marriage. We don't show up at work. We'll show them. We'll get even. We don't show up to our spouse or to our kids or to our God or to our church. We, we give up. We don't show up. And we're in a series. We're talking about hope. We're talking about how do you find the way out of the panic room, anxiety, worry, fear. Another emotion that traps many of us is anger. And when anger, especially as a result of life not being fair, when we're just mad because it doesn't seem that we've gotten a fair shake, that type of anger tends to do three things. I put it in your outline if you want to pull that out uh, uh, that you got when you came in today. Here's the first thing anger does. It tends to overshadow gratitude, right? If you were to go back, and as I did, and listen to the stories of these young basketball players, even 15 years, 40 years later, if you were to read their quotes, you know what you discover? They, they, don't, they don't talk about the honor it was to be chosen to play uh, on an Olympic team. They don't talk about the honor of representing their, their country. They, they, they don't talk about the unique opportunity they had because, see, in 1972, the NBA wasn't involved in basketball and the Olympics. It was just college players. And these college players, I mean, they were zoomed into living rooms all across the United States. It was an incredible opportunity for just a few men who desired in the future to be in the NBA. But they don't talk about any of that. They just talk about how it wasn't fair. Because it wasn't fair, they just decided they were not going to show up because they were angry. And they were angry because, well, life's not fair. And I think we can all, if we're not careful, do the same thing. Our frustration with life not being fair causes us to be, our gratitude to be overshadowed. The second thing I put is anger causes us to blame others. Again, if you look at their quotes, they blamed, well, the referees, of course, but if you go back and look at what the referees did, how they did it was incorrect. But what they did, well, you'd have a hard time arguing with it because it was probably the right thing to do. And yet they blamed the referees. They blamed the coaches. The coaches played a slowdown game when what they should have done, according to the players, is play a, you know, a faster pace game. They blamed other players who were unprepared for the game. They blamed the Olympic Committee for the way they responded. And ultimately, they blamed Russia that eventually Russia was going to win the game or get as many chances as they needed to win, to win the game. When life seems to be unfair, we tend to blame others, don't we? 
You ever stub your toe and yell at the couch? As if the couch actually all of a sudden did something? No, the couch had nothing to do with the fact you stubbed your toe. And yet, who do you yell at? Well, you blame the couch. Right? You ever have a bad day at work? In other words, what happens at work or on the freeway just doesn't seem fair? The other person got the promotion even though you're the one who comes in early? And you get home and you yell at your family or you, you know, shut the door on the dog's tail or you take it out on somebody else, even though they had nothing to do with whatever you st uh, seem to be unfair. That's what that anger tends to do. It causes us, to, it overshadows our gratitude and then it causes us to blame other people. And the last thing I put down is that that anger causes us to give up and not show up. And, I, and we all, you know, you see this a lot. Life's not fair, therefore, in a desire, an attempt to get even, I'm just going to give up. Let me mention a few in ministry that I see. One is in the area of generosity. I see people all the time who step out in some, time of, uh, some type of generous activity, whether it be to help their neighbor or to be uh, obedient in their tithes and their offering, but then God doesn't do what the, he, they thought he should. They don't get the check in the mail. They may still have some challenges in their, in their finances while the person who didn't give gets a promotion and has got a brand new car in their driveway. And you know what you call that? Not fair. You sacrificed. You gave in the offering. You gave to help the poor. You gave to grow the church, to reach the world. While the person who didn't is the one driving a new car, sending their kids to private school, living in a bigger home. And what is the temptation in that moment to do? I'm not going to show up next time there's an offering. I'm going to give up on that. I've been there, done that, tried that. It does not work. Therefore, when the, you know, when the anthem is played, you won't find me up on the stand. We do it sometimes in serving, right? Maybe we are a part of Mission Saturday or some way we reach out into our community and we love on people and we sacrifice and we help and we care for, and yet it's the person who didn't show up who isn't sick. I'm the one who got sick. I'm the one who got the disease from the very person I was trying to help, not the other. And that just not, that's not fair. And because it's not fair, next time there's a call to serve, guess what? I'm not showing up. I'm not showing up. I'm just going to give up on that. People do it on their dreams. They do it with growth, right? You, you're reading the book that you had to sacrifice to purchase. You went to the conference about how to do your job more effectively, but again, you had to pay for it. And you, you're doing all these things to grow, but the person who didn't read the book and didn't go to the conference got the promotion. Plus, they show up late for work and you're always early. What's the temptation? What does that kind of unfairness, that anger, I'm not showing up at the next conference, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to read the next book, I'll tell you what. I've done that, been there, and it just doesn't work. See, when you and I get trapped by this kind of anger, it overshadows our sense of gratitude and it causes us to give up. And as a result, we, we just don't show up. Well, what, is the, what does the scripture have to say about life not being fair? There's an incredible story. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. Now, I, I want to read it, and, and it's, it's a little long. It's 16 verses, but you, you need to feel this story. And I just ask this question, who do you relate to in this story? 
Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So he goes out to look for some daily workers. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, which is a daily salary. So he finds them and he tells them he'll pay them a denarius, which is a, a good, not a bad, but it's a, a generous daily, uh, daily pay, daily wage. And then he sends them into the vineyard. Verse 3. And he went out the third hour. So think about it. They would work 12-hour days, so they'd start at 6 and they would end at 6. So he hired the first group at 6 a.m., and he hires the second group at, on the third hour, which would be 9 a.m. And he went out about the third hour. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you or pay you. And so they went. Again, he went out the sixth hour, which is about noon, and the ninth hour, which is about three, and he did the same thing. And then in verse 6, and about the 11th hour, what is the 11th hour? One hour before quitting time, all right? This is about 5 o'clock. He went out, and he found others standing around, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you guys go into the vineyard as well. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call all the laborers in and, it's, and pay them. So it's payday, right? This is when you get your check. This is your favorite part of the day. But he does something a little different. He begins with the last group, those who were hired at 5 o'clock, one hour before quitting time. And when those uh, with the last group, to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received what? A full day's wage, a denarius. The same thing he promised those that he hired at 6 a.m. So what do you think when he gave those who had only worked an hour, what he told those that he hired at 6 a.m. he was going to give them, what do you think those who were hired at 6 a.m. began to believe? They began to think about what are we going to get? If he gave those who worked an hour what he originally agreed to give us, what do you think those of us who worked all day are going to get? I think they started to dream about big screen televisions. I think they started to dream about trips to Las Vegas. I mean, they, they, they started to dream about what they were going to do with all of this, all of this money. When those hired first came in, they thought that they would receive more, but... Each one of them also received a denarius. Well, how do you think they would respond? Or let me put it a different way. How would you respond? Can you relate to their frustration? Look what happens. When they received it, they did what? What's it say? They grumbled at the landowner saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the scorching heat all day long. We've been out there all day long, and you're going to give them the same thing you gave us? But he answered, and he said to one of them, Friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Didn't we agree on the price at the beginning of the day? Verse 14, take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to the last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. You know, I, I wonder. I wonder if those who were hired at 6 a.m., those who worked the whole 12-hour day, you think they showed up the next day? 
Or do you think they said, you know, if he's going to pay those who only work an hour, the same thing he pays those of us who work 12, I'm not showing up tomorrow. I wonder, right? Well, what is it Jesus is trying to teach us? Because if you're like me, you can probably identify with who, who do you identify with in the story? If you're honest, right? Who do you identify with the most? You identify with the guys that got hired at 6 a.m.? Does it seem fair to you that they got the same, that those who worked an hour? Wouldn't you grumble maybe a little bit as well? Somebody who just worked one hour and you worked 12 and you both got paid the same amount of resources. Now, what can we do about being trapped in this kind of frustration that causes us to think that life or to believe that life is not fair? Well, let's look at the story. I think we can learn some things. Here's the first thing. What caused their anger? What causes our anger? Why is it we look at the world and we say, this is not fair? In one word, it would be the word comparison. All right? It would be the word comparison. This is what I put in your notes. We are grateful for God's plan until. And we're not going to look at the until yet. I want us to first realize that at the beginning, we're very grateful. Were they happy to get a Daenerys for their day's work? They were at the beginning, weren't they? They signed the contract. And not only did they sign the contract, they were excited because it was a generous amount. They went out, and they went out with a sense of excitement. Why? Because they liked the plan. Well, God says he has a plan for us. We've looked at this scripture on numerous occasions. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans... I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and to give you a hope. In other words, God puts a dream in your heart. And he says, I'm going to do something great with your life. And you, be, you have this sense of destiny and this sense of purpose. And there's those certain things that you, when you think about them, your heart races. And, and you get excited to talk about them. And, and you're moving in that direction. And you're excited. You're passionate about the plan that God has for your life, just like those workers were. You, you know, how do you think the workers that were hired at 6 a.m. felt when a group of workers got hired at 9 a.m.? I think they were happy. I think they're out there and they're working in the sun and all of a sudden the landowner goes and he gets, you know, let's say 10 more workers and they're like, we've already signed a contract. And we're going to get a good wage. And now he's just hired 10 more people. So that means the job's just gotten easier. We're going to get paid the same amount, but we've got more people to help us. Then he goes out uh, again and he hires more. And you're like, oh my gosh, this just keeps getting easier. Isn't this awesome? I'm going to work here for the rest of my life. This landowner, you rock. Right? I mean, they're pumped up. And even when life gets difficult and you're going after this dream and you're going after this passion and, and there's a struggle or there's a challenge, we are reminded of Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for what? What? Good for those who love Lord, the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So even when there's a challenge, what do you believe? God's put a dream in my heart. He's given me a purpose and a destiny, and I am passionate for that. And this challenge that I am presently facing is what God's going to use to propel me into my destiny. It is just an obstacle that I will overcome with his help because he's made a promise to me. So even challenges don't discourage us. So if you go back and you look, 
And what I told you in the beginning, what makes us angry? We are grateful for God's plan until we see God's plan for someone else. That's when we get frustrated, isn't it? You ever really like your house until you go to a Christmas party at somebody else's house? Right? You can't believe you've got so much room in the backyard. You go out and buy a dog. You have another kid. I mean, it's incredible. And then you go to a Christmas party, and on the way home, the conversation is, did you see their backyard? Right? It's like you were fine until, and then what do you start? That's not fair. We work at the same place. We got the same job. And on top of, I've been there longer than they have. That's not fair. And what didn't bother you the day before now occupies your mind all the time. It's robbed you of your joy. You're trapped in your frustration. It's easy, or at least you're tempted to do what? <laughs> Quit, give up. If that's the way that company is, I'm not showing up. Oh, I'll go, but I'm going to hide when I'm there. I'm going to quit sacrificing. I'm going to quit giving everything I've got because evidently it doesn't matter because did you see their backyard? And they just got hired. See, we're not the only one that asks that kind of question. In Matthew chapter 19, we discover the reason that Jesus tells this story in Matthew chapter 20. See, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is talking and he tells the story of a rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, you can read it, Matthew 19, and he says, hey, what do you got to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you got to keep the law. And he says, I've done that since I was a kid. Now, Jesus understands his heart. He has a greedy heart. So Jesus looks at him and says, well, you have to give away everything that you own and follow me. And, and here's what the scripture says. The rich young ruler goes away sad. Why? Because he had a bunch of stuff and he wasn't about to give it away. Now, Peter's standing there, and Peter overhears this conversation. He hears what Jesus tells this rich young ruler. How do you think Peter responds? Well, look with me in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Then Peter said to him, we've given away everything, Lord. I've given away my donkey that I really used to like. I've given away my house and my sandal and my family. I mean, we've given away everything to follow you. What will we get? You told him, I heard you, you told him that if he would sell everything and follow you, that he would get eternal life, that he would get blessings. We've done that. What are we going to get? This is not the only time Peter asked this question. In, in the Gospel of John, after Jesus has died and resurrected, and, and Jesus and some of the apostles are on a beach, and they're having a conversation, and Jesus tells Peter that he's about to come up against some challenges. He's about to face some real struggles. And, and, and Peter, kind of out of the corner of his eye, guess who he sees? Another apostle. His name was John, but you know what they call him in the Bible? John the Beloved. You know what else the Scripture says about him? The one whom Jesus loved. Well, that doesn't seem fair, does it? And so Peter looks over, he sees John out of the corner of his eye, and look what he says. Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? I'm about to go through some real difficulty. Well, what about him? Because it's not fair if I have to and he doesn't. You ever feel like that? 
You ever find yourself all of a sudden you're dealing with an anger about how unfair life is, not because of what you have been given, but because of what you have been given in comparison to what somebody else has been given. Or what you haven't received that they received. Or what you have to deal with that they don't have to deal with. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus replied, verse 22, uh, Peter, if I want him to remain alive until I return. Because Jesus was telling Peter about when he would die or how he would die. He says, what is that to you? As for you, you must do what? Follow me. What is Jesus saying? Look, Peter, you, you've got to trust me in this. Because your perspective is not the same as my perspective. And I understand that there are some things you don't understand. And in those moments when life seems completely unfair, here's the question. Would you trust me? Listen, Peter, it doesn't matter what happens in the life of John. Here's what I want you to do. You follow me. Because I work in everybody's life differently. Now, that's what causes our anger, but why do we get angry? Well, it's kind of what we've been talking about. In one word, it's jealousy. It's the fact that from our perspective, life is not fair. Remember verses 11 and 12? When they, those who went to work at 6 a.m., received the same as those who went to work at uh, 5 p.m., right before quitting time, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the scorching heat all day long. See, our anger, this is what really convicted me as I studied this text. Our anger isn't at what we have. It's at what they shouldn't have. That's jealousy. See, think about it. Your frustration is, is it's not that you're sick. It's that they ought to be sick too or in place of you. It's not that it's the house you live in. It's that they shouldn't have the house they live in because they don't work as long as you. They didn't go to the same school that you went to, right? Isn't it incredible how selfish? Why is life not fair? Because what they have, they shouldn't have. Or they ought to have this horrible thing that I have. I don't deserve it, but they, they should have it. That's exactly what they were saying. They were excited about what the owner agreed to pay them. The problem wasn't what he said he would give them. The problem was is that he gave it to somebody else as well. That's what causes our anger. God's generosity can actually tempt us to not show up. It's not fair. Well, who are we angry with? I mean, if we're honest, who are you angry with? Why'd you, why'd you, why'd you give up? Why'd you, why'd you stop showing up in your relationship with your spouse or your kids or at work or in ministry? Remember, you used to show up. You used to give it everything you got. You used to really sacrifice. Who are you mad at? I mean, if we're honest, it's God, right? I mean, if God's all-powerful, all-knowing, he's everywhere at one time, if God can do all of these things and for whatever reason he gave it to them and not me, then I'm, I'm mad at him. And I'll show God, won't I? I'll just not show up. 
they were angry with the landowner. And in the story, the landowner, of course, is a representation of Christ. What do we want? What's our anger want? When you look around and you realize it and you say, man, this is just not fair. It's just not right. I don't understand why they get this and I don't understand why this has happened to me. I mean, I've done all these things and yet I'm the one who has to struggle through this. I'm the one that has to deal with this. What is it that we really want? Fairness, isn't it? We just want God to be fair. I mean, after all, I've been good and they haven't. After all, I've sacrificed and they didn't. After all, I really love you and I'm not so sure they do. We just want God to be fair. But here's my question is, do you really? Are you sure you want fairness? That's what we're crying out for. God, this is not fair. Therefore, it ought to be fair. But have you ever looked at the scripture found in Romans chapter 6, verse 23? It says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Now, that's fairness. A penalty, right? There's a cost. Now, what is sin? Well, sin is a picture word that means missing the bullseye. What is the bullseye? Perfection. So, in reality, have we all missed the bullseye? Have we all been imperfect? Well, of course. So do you know what fairness would be? We all die. And it's not just talking about a physical death. It's talking about an eternal death. It's talking about a death of your relationships, a death of your joy, a death of your peace, a death of your hope, a death of your passion, a death of your purpose. That's fairness. Is that what you want? See, the reality is, <laughs> I'm not sure. When we cry out for fairness, I'm not sure that that's what we're asking for. It says, but the free gift. What is a free gift? Unfairness. Because a free gift is something you do not deserve. It's something you have not earned. It's something that you, it's not owed to you. It's a gift. <laughs> it's unfair. Gifts are unfair. Gifts are given not because they're deserved or earned or paid for. They're a gift. A free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So is there a way out? I mean, can you find a, a way to, to, to get out of this anger, to uh, get away from the desire, the temptation to give up? Well, in a word, yes. I wrote this in my notes. While life may not be fair, there are principles to life that when implied bring certain results. Now, let, let me show you what I mean. How did Jesus answer Peter? Remember, Peter is the one who heard, overheard the conversation between the rich young ruler, and he said, oh, well, we've given it all away. What do we get? Well, what, what did Jesus say? Well, in Matthew chapter 19, he says this, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or a father or a mother, children or property for my sake will... Circle that word, doesn't say might, maybe, could, if, no, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Now think about that for a moment. What will we get? Now we know Peter got some difficulties. 
Peter eventually was crucified upside down. I mean, so he's asking this question, what will we get? And what does Jesus say? He says, you're going to get a hundred times more. But in order to receive the hundred times, what has to happen? What does the scripture say? It says, everyone who has what? Given up. In other words, in order for you to experience the blessing, you have to do what? You have to go through the difficulty. What is Jesus trying to say? He's trying to say that there are times in life when it is going to seem from your perspective that life is not fair. But that is just your perspective. Here is the principle or here is the promise. Anything that has been taken from you is going to be returned back to you a hundred times over. The question is, is, are you going to trust me when it feels unfair? When it seems like you're being taken advantage of, when life is not going, your, are you going to show up? He says, but many who are greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be greatest then. Again, what is he saying? Your perception is not the same as mine. Your perspective is not the same as mine. The wisdom writer says there's a way that seems right unto men that leads to destruction. In other words, God says, I, I look at things differently just as you and I look at things differently from our three-year-old. They can't comprehend our perspective because of the difference in maturity. And Jesus is just being really clear in Scripture here. He's saying, look, here's the ultimate principle. I'm going to bless you. But my blessing, in order for you to experience everything that I have in store for you, there are going to be times when it seems from your perspective unfair. In chapter 20, he says the same thing. To, he says, so the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Again, this idea of trust. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, very familiar passage of scripture. It says, trust in the Lord um, with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding or do not depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your understanding. It's not easy to do, is it? You're a pretty smart dude. <laughs> People have told you you're a pretty smart dude. And from your perspective, life seems completely unfair. And the question is, and I think what Jesus is trying to teach us, is will we trust him in those moments? Will we show up? That's what it means to trust him. It just means showing up. Not giving up. I mean, there are folks who are not here today. You know why they're not here? Because God hasn't done what they thought that he should do. So they, just, they stopped showing up. They gave up. Uh, I think uh, the ultimate principle that I like is found in Galatians 6, 9. It says, so let us not get tired. That implies that there's an opportunity to get tired. Which means there are times, right? If I, there are times when life doesn't seem fair. So let's not get tired. What would make us tired, right? If you, if you bring the application over, it's the idea life is not fair of doing what is good. Because at just the right time, if we will reap a harvest, if we don't what? If we don't give up. Or you could say it the other way. We will reap a harvest if we do what? Show up. I remember years ago. I, uh, it's been 25 years. I still remember it. 
um, I was playing basketball in college, and it was an important conference game, kind of championship-level game, and the team we were playing at the time was quite tall, for at least the time. They had a seven-foot center, had a, a small forward, I think it was like 6'9", had a big forward that was 6'11", they had off guard 6'6", six, six, and then their point guard was normal height, he was 6'1". Well, I, I was a small forward for our team, and I was, I'm just 6'4". And so our coach came up with a plan, and the plan was that these guys are tall, and we're going to tire them out. So we're going to keep pressure on them. We're going to press them from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. Everywhere they move, we're going to have two people on them. And so we practiced for months, different types of presses, different types of traps, different types of ways of keeping pressure on them. That was our plan. I remember the day of the game, coach challenged us, asked us, do you remember the plan? Remember what we're doing? And all game, you know, the whole first half, he'd be like, keep the pressure on, keep the pressure on, stay with the game plan. And I remember when the halftime buzzer went off, we went to the dressing room, and um, there was some tension in the room because we were losing by double figures. And the tension in the room was simply this, as players, as we looked at one another, is are we going to show up in the second half? And here's what I mean by that. Are we going to stay with the game plan? See, because it seemed like the game plan wasn't working because the goal of the game is to be ahead, not behind, and we were behind, not ahead. Do we stay with it? <laughs> well, I think the reason I remember it is because we did. We went out and we continued to do what the coach had challenged us to do. And it was interesting because at the end of the game, we weren't behind by double digits. We actually ended up winning the game by double digits. But I am convinced that the reason we won the game is because we, we trusted the coach. We showed up. I, I want to challenge you today to make that same kind of commitment because all of us in life will have those moments when life seems unfair. And I, can I ask you, will there ever be a time when your spouse looks over and, and you won't show up? You won't be on the podium. You, you gave up somewhere along the way. Will there ever be a time when your kids look up and, uh, where's mom, where's dad? You just don't show up. Oh, you're still in the house, but you got mad somewhere along the way. Life doesn't seem fair. What about at work? What about your dream? What about ministry, reaching the world? Just don't show up. Don't use your gifts. Don't use your talents. Don't use your resources. Why? Because God's not fair. He hasn't blessed you the way he blessed somebody else. You're struggling when someone else hasn't. You have a disease that some don't have. You haven't had kids yet and others have. It, whatever the reason. I'm not saying that it's not real. I'm just asking you. Will you show up? Will you and I do what those Olympic basketball players were unwilling to do? Show up. Would you bow your head? I was thinking this week about how we could make this commitment. Simple commitment. Just saying, I'm going to show up. And I decided, well, we could make the commitment by receiving what they were unwilling to to receive a medal it's not a gold medal not a silver nor a bronze it's actually a plastic medal but what it represents is, is of great worth 
It represents a commitment to show up. That your spouse will never look your way and not see you. That your kids will never look up and not discover you. You won't give up. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to continue our worship time. And as we do, I'm going to invite you to go to one of these locations where some volunteers and pastors are standing with these representations of a commitment to show up. And if you're willing to make that commitment, I invite you to allow them to place that on you as a reminder. Father, I pray that your word will inspire us to show up. That when life seems so unfair and when we don't understand, that we won't give up. I pray we'll show up. For your glory, for the kingdom's sake, that the world might be changed. In Jesus' name, let's stand and let's respond.